0: In starting this podcast, I wanted to look at every facet of creativity. Unfortunately, up to this point, I have not addressed one of the largest areas. What is it? Keep listening and find out on today's Dialogues with Creators. Today's guest is a first for Dialogues with Creators. And although I am happy to speak with our guest today... I'm a little embarrassed that he is our first musical creator. I plan to have more, but this has been too long in coming. I'm speaking about Ben Van Winkle of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I first heard of Ben when our music professor at Dalton State College, Dr. Ellie Jenkins, told me she had booked him for a recital. I attended March 29th, not entirely sure what I was going to be hearing. I love cello. Give me some Elgar any time, but something was said about looping and electronics. As it happened, I had a delightful time and even got to see some salsa dancing. So I really wanted to have Ben, ben Winkle on the podcast so more folks can know about him and what he does. Welcome, Ben.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, I am so pleased. So I'm going to let you do most of the talking and tell your story. But first, why the cello?
1: Well, that's a that's a fun question, because I know the answer. And it was because it was the biggest one of the quartet. I remember when I first saw a string quartet in my elementary music tool class, um, I thought the the one that could play the lowest and the the biggest was the coolest. And I came home (laughs) and I, I remember asking my mom, Sort of embarrassingly, I, or like, I was embarrassed to ask her if I could play the cello. Like, I didn't think she would allow me to. And then next thing I know, she's like, yeah, of course, let's sign up for lessons tomorrow. And then I found out, like, a few months later that there's a bigger one, <laughs> the bass. And I actually tried to switch, but uh, it was too late. I was kind of baked into the cello at that point. So, which I'm I'm very glad for, because the cello is uh, arguably more capable or more versatile than the bass so yeah
0: yes that, I, was, I was thinking that because not that i'm as anywhere near as knowledgeable as uh, you would be but when i think of bass i think of bong bong plucking strings and the cello is with a bow well
1: yes yeah, so well they both use bows and plucking um uh, depending okay. on the sound um yeah. but i'd say the bass has a more it has a solid role in jazz ensembles where it is only plucking essentially. Okay. Um, but at least in, in the classical setting, basses can play quite melodically with a bow, um, but they, it'll never be as easy for them to play high as it is for a cello. Similarly mm-hmm. to like cellos can't play as high as violin can, at least with with ease because it's it just gets physically difficult to play up there.
0: Yeah. So how old were you and weren't you old, about the size of a cello at that point?
1: Yeah, I was nine um, and uh, I was bigger than a cello, but okay. but you do start, you start with a uh, like a half size oh. or I, I started on a half size cello and then I moved to a three quarters quickly after that and then I stayed with that for a few years and then in seventh grade I got a full size cello that I, actually I still have that cello, I still play, that's the one I played um, at the show you attended.
0: Okay, Wonderful. So that brings us to the next question: Why cello and more, which is your kind of signature thing? And that was the name of the recital I attended. The concert.
1: Oh, that's what they—that's uh, how they uh, branded it. That's yeah. pretty good. Well, I mean, um, as versatile as the cello is, there's some things that it doesn't do easily. Uh, for instance, chords. The guitar is much more capable of playing chords, uh, and it's—it's it's just. Uh, it's easier to play in tune on a guitar because of the frets, So you can do much more complicated chords, focus a little more on the rhythm and then still have some brain power to sing. So I think guitar is an obvious one to bring in. And then of course, piano is also extremely care- capable. Um, and it just has the certain sound that like, especially for the salsa grooves that I did um, the piano is Is what I wanted, and also Dalton State has a really nice grand piano, so I was like, I want to use that. Um, But of course, I always kind of go back to the cello to you know, and I do pluck to 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 have the bass grooves, and then I'll do some sort of melody on the cello. um, I'm usually not on the guitar, um, and then I can sing and beatbox and and create a whole band's worth of uh, music.
0: Yes, and that is for folks who are listening and don't know Ben's work, if you're wondering how is he playing all these (laughs) instruments at the same time, that's the cool part. That's the more, that's the looping, that's the thing that I was just, oh, that's what he's doing because I'm a little slow on the uptake. And I do also want to correct myself. I mentioned Elgar. I don't want to give the impression that what he does is traditional, classical kind of music, although he's entirely capable of doing that, I'm sure. But this is something very different than what you might be thinking with cello, if you're not familiar with that. So let's go back 25 years or so. You uh, Maybe not quite that much. You said you were introduced to the cello as a nine-year-old. And what happened after that? You were in bands, etc.
1: Yeah, I played uh, in, the, in the string orchestra at uh, CSAS, Chattanooga School for the Arts and Sciences, wow. until 12th grade. So I played every year, all year long. Um, I, I think cello was always... Actually, I think intentionally I wanted it to be my hobby um, because I had this theory that the second it became my job, I would stop loving it. Um, so that's why I actually ended, I went to school for engineering um, mm-hmm. But I went to a school with a great cello teacher, Dan Alcott at uh, Tennessee Tech. So I still play. I still took lessons and I played in the orchestra there. And in fact, I actually worked as an engineer for one year. But I always like to say it was part of the plan because in fresh, like freshman year of college, I made the decision, finish the degree. Because I was I was toying with majoring in music as a freshman. OK, but I made the decision, finish the degree save up a year's worth of salary and then become a freelance with the cushion of a little bit of established establishment. Uh, and so, so yeah, that's where I've been for the past six or seven years is a freelance cellist in Chattanooga. Um, and also spending a lot of time composing and writing music. Um, and so I just never stopped. So that's kind of the joke. If somebody, or if somebody asked me advice about music, it just, just don't stop that's all you gotta do eventually well and I actually i I hesitate to say that it's worked out for me yet but <laughs> um but I've had a, a really you know a a music filled life that I've really enjoyed so far and the the main and the most important part about that is that I just didn't quit and just never stopped playing the cello
0: mm-hmm. uh, okay that that explains a lot somehow I got in my head incorrectly that you uh, went to college as an engineer and then had some sort of epiphany that you needed to be a musician <laughs> full time, but you always had a plan to be a musician, but you also combine that with the engineering is, would that be the case?
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't been a practicing engineer for a while, mm-hmm. but I still feel like an engineer at heart. I've always felt quite analytical. Right. Um but also creative. Um, But I think I have a a, a sort of middle ground personality between engineer and musician, which I think it has its advantages that I I try to, to utilize as much as possible.
0: And that's neat to me because a lot of people think of engineers versus musicians as if they are polar opposites uh, or on two totally different ends of the spectrum i don't understand why they do but that is a stereotype that a musician is this one type of person and the the engineer would be on this totally other end uh with no connection and i think that's unfortunate that we get those stereotypes and mindsets about these things what kind of engineer engineering did you do well to
1: your last point though i would say that like statistically it probably is Like the personality types are mostly different, but there's there is a lot of crossover. So it's, it's, you can't say a blanket term, but, and maybe I'm just anecdotally, but just my experience in college, I remember the engineers I I met were when we did the Myers-Briggs test, actually, they were analytical across the board. Uh, And I, I was of a few people that had creative that was like extremely creative, at least on the, on the test most people were analytical organized and I had zero organization, at least in the engineering department. I didn't do that test with the musicians, but, um, but sorry, what was your question? Uh, you actually, you uh, asked something else.
0: That What kind of engineering did you do?
1: Oh, I was, that was mechanical engineering. Okay. Yeah. So um, the,
0: yeah, I think I think I've known other scientists who were very um very musical. And to me there's an aspect of music that is mathematical and scientific that um it's not it that, that would be very helpful to you. It's not just some creative thing out there, you know. Um so as far as the um your performance that that I heard and that you do at other places, for those who would not be uh, in on this, explain exactly what you do with the looping and the 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 electronics in your program.
1: Sure, um, the this conversation is actually uh, very. Uh, relevant because uh, I'm considering doing away with a lot of it for this next show, and I, I but I haven't totally made up my mind. Um, so it's 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 fun to hear your uh, I don't know excitement or interest of it because I, I remember that it, it is cool the looping thing.
0: Yes, um,
1: but sometimes I, I get in my head that it takes away a little bit from the actual like uh, music making, but. But let me explain what it is, like, like you asked. Basically, uh, I have the software now that it'll record something that I play and then play it back for me immediately afterwards. But what's cool about this software is that I can pre-program when things record and when they play back. So I actually don't have to hit any buttons. And what you didn't know is that in my head, and my earphones, I had a click track and literally a recording of me telling me what to play. And so there's this weird sort of distancing. I mean, it's cool because you can achieve a lot just by like literally following instructions. I mean, they're instructions that I wrote and I sort of composed them in a way. But it offloads a lot of the decision making uh, and literally thought (laughs) about what to do next because you're just following instructions. Uh, And of course, you rehearse and you, you kind of get used to jumping from the cello to the piano really quickly. Uh, and that's kind of what the software allows is because you don't have to hit a button, you just have to play the music at the right time. And so you just run around and you hit the right instruments. And I, I set myself up with a lot of really, uh, close calls. I mean, a lot of that stuff was quite <laughs> difficult to, to put my cello down and jump to the piano and record yeah. it.
0: I got that impression.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I think like in yeah. a way that is the appeal of that show. Like that's what makes okay. it fun and interesting. But on the other hand, I'm nervous it's maybe slightly of a novelty because I feel like maybe the second time seeing that, uh, you know, the the wow factor of the looping itself maybe wears off and, and at the detriment of the music itself, at least that's the existential crisis I'm having literally right now. So that's why I'm saying this is a relevant conversation yeah. because I think I'm going to go on this next show at Songbird's which is on June 30th, if if you guys are listening before then and okay. you're seeing it. Um, I'm thinking about just playing my cello and singing, which mm-hmm. I have s- several songs where I think they work well in that capacity. In fact, I did perform one at the show you were at, mm-hmm. where I just played and sang. Um, and in fact, that song would never work in looping because it's just too, it changes too much. And, and loops kind of usually have to be a groove-based song where you kind of build up the song a little bit. Um, but anyways, I think I want to focus on this show because it's sort of like a songwriter setting anyways, um, on sort of the music itself and this and the song and also just challenge myself to be okay with simplicity in a way. Like I, I always want the full versions of these songs. I always want the drums and I always want the the flutes. And so I'll try to layer everything on, but I think, The in some shows the simplicity is what makes it cool. Or like that's the charm and what you're able to do live. So I don't know. I'm I'm curious after I've dumped all of my thought process on you, uh, what your thoughts are. Because like I really appreciate to to remember that there is uh it it is interesting to see someone do the loop loops like I do. So I have to remind myself that it is cool.
0: Yes, it is. And I was I sat there for a while saying, what exactly is he doing? What is going on? Where's and then I said, oh, it's he he does something and it starts it and it plays and it it goes and it it loops and he then he can go do something else. So is there any improvisation in the moment that you're doing it?
1: Yeah, well, there's there were like uh, written sections where I was I soloed, let's say, on the cello. And those were always improvised. Uh, I would just play a solo live, but the actual like song structure and like you know the chords and those sections were very composed. I played those exactly like I rehearsed them beforehand. Yeah, um, which is kind of important because for the song to work, you've got to have the bass and the chords line up. Which means you've got to play the exact right chord progression followed by the exact right bass progression. And and you probably, I don't know if you, you maybe noticed a few mistakes I made, like that's the danger and the scary thing about it is that once you make a mistake, it's looping that mistake for the rest of the song. And, you know, I, I don't think I had any that were so crucial that I had to stop. But, you know, I think uh, there there's probably a few things that were actually noticeable uh, on that show, oh. which is, it makes it even scarier. Like, it's just it's a really stressful thing to perform.
0: Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, I wouldn't have noticed. I'm just a novice. I wouldn't have noticed any mistakes. Um, But I did very much enjoy, um, I believe that you sang La Vie en Rose at that concert, or did I just see that on YouTube? Oh,
1: yeah. I think you saw that on YouTube.
0: Okay. But you also played a standard jazz number.
1: The nearness of you.
0: The nearness of you. Yes. Which I enjoy so much. I love those old standards. So that was a lot of fun. And that was... I can't see those as looping.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that was an acoustic one. And yeah, I agree. I feel like that's one of my stronger songs. And it's like, right. why do I bother with the looping? If I can just do songs like that and it keep them simple. That was just my guitar and my voice. Yeah. And I whistled some of the melodies, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: So. And when, when you danced with the, the photographer, <laughs> that, was, that was planned, right?
1: Yes. Yes. That was planned. Okay. We didn't rehearse or anything, but we, I knew, she knew I was going to, I was going to take her hand and dance.
0: Okay. She's, she's a friend. I take it.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. She's, she's very good. It was that I'm, did you, do sometimes uh, other people get up and dance with you?
1: The last time I did that show. Yes. I had a whole, the whole audience. In fact, more people danced than I was expecting. So there was no room on stage. <laughs> like I kind of got enveloped by the crowd, but oh, uh, no. <laughs> But it's because I actually beforehand I like made sure I had several people who were willing to dance, and since all of them came up with with gumption, I think everyone else followed, and then the whole crowd was dancing, which I was cool with. It was just not what I was expecting.
0: I was hoping somebody would get up at Dalton State and dance, but I I don't think anybody did. Um, you you did seem well. It, it was quite um, strenuous, I think, for you. <laughs> Because you had to dance and then go back to playing and talking and singing. And it was, it was. <sighs> yeah. I remember
1: really having to catch my breath. I danced a little bit too hard.
0: <laughs> it was fun though. It was so much fun. So as far as other instruments you play then, so there's the piano and the, and the drums and the guitar on top of the cello, anything else?
1: Um, not many other things that I would claim to be very good at. Well, okay. So there's, a uh, this really cool instrument called a gujong, which is like a similar to a kodo, if anyone knows what that is, but it's, uh, it's basically like the, the really Asian sounding instrument where you bend the strings. Um, it actually sounds like that <laughs> kind of, and I, I, uh, I've actually played a piece that was written for that instrument in clarinet in a semi-professional setting and ever since then i've been like i guess i'm a gujung player now um but so i kind of i feel like i can play the gujong. and then of course i think singing counts as its own instrument and i've spent a lot of time working on my voice and then if you want to count beatboxing and whistling um i spent a lot of time working on those skills as well so that's basically all the instruments i think right there Okay. I can I can fake my way on a violin, pretty good. <laughs> um, I'll, I actually I, I'm much better if I play it in between my legs like a cello, or at least everything's more natural when I do it that way.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, what do you see as your next step creatively? Since this is called dialogues with creative creators, I gotta put that one in there. Where Where do you see yourself going next?
1: You know. So next February, um, this hasn't been announced publicly, but I think it's, uh, I think it's fine for me to tell people, um, I'm playing with the CSO, like the Chattanooga symphony oh. okay. and it is yes. uh, such an honor. I like, I could not be more excited about this show. The okay. fact that they're extending this to me is just so awesome and I'm very grateful. Um, so the, sh- the set is going to be obviously no loops cause I'm playing with an orchestra um, and it's a lot of my music that I've already orchestrated plus new stuff. So this year is really it's me working on my chops as best as I can for my cello playing and my voice while also uh, orchestrating some of my old music and writing new music for orchestra. Um, so I think like the immediate next step is this show that's on June 30th. But what's cool is that that show, since I'm not doing it in loops, I will be doing it in a way that I'm really just focusing on my cello and my voice. Okay. So I'm I'm basically, I think everything I'm doing this year is working towards this pretty big milestone of playing with the CSO in February. And, and yeah, what I'm excited about is that I think a lot of my best musical progress, and I always forget this, came when I just memorized a song or I learned a song by heart and I went on my front porch and I just played it by memory a ton. Um, and really slowly and really carefully, there's like these two different sides of your brains of your brain where you're either reading music or you're singing music. I mean, you always want to sing music, but I've always been really bad about when I read sheet music that I'll play it like a machine a little bit. And then I have to remind myself, no, you have to sing this. So I, I feel like some of my, Favorite musical progress I've made is when I go to my front porch. I'm excited this summer. That's something I'm, I'm planning on doing a lot of that. I just sit on my front porch and play my cello and sing and play my guitar. Oh,
0: so you might gather a crowd.
1: Yeah, maybe a few walk passers by will <laughs> My neighbors usually uh they actually have complained recently, like, why haven't you played on your porch in a while?
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Uh,
1: So I I might, yeah, maybe they'll enjoy that too. The thing yeah. is the practice is really slow. <laughs> I put the metronome really slow. It's like obnoxiously slow. But.
0: <laughs> so your next performance is is June 30th at Songbirds. And that venue is exactly where?
1: Um, So Songbirds is this guitar museum. Uh, okay. It's on Station Street, right next to the Choo Choo in downtown Chattanooga. Oh. And I'm opening for this really awesome group called the New Quintet which is Nicholas Edward Williams, his quintet. Um, and we might actually collaborate on a song or two um, where I'll maybe I'll play with them or maybe they'll back me up on one of my songs. We haven't quite decided, but it's a really, they're like a folk group and uh, Nick Nicholas will do all these classic Americana songs on his guitar. And they've got a bass clarinet and uh, violin as well as another guitar. So
0: all right. Well, I want to put a lot of links uh, to your material in the show notes of this podcast. And you are a songwriter. So along with this creative processes with your music, uh, you also are writing songs and since this is something, you know, I'm a novelist, a short story writer. I, I have no idea where you would start with a song other than something I might be in my head, you know, that you you get these things in your head. But what is the process that you go through for for having writing a new song? Does, is it an inspiration thing? Is it a is it a struggle thing? Is it what's your process on that?
1: Yeah. Okay. This is a, this is a really fun question. What is my process? Well, the, the blanket answer is I don't have a process. Um, but if I'm going to dive in, I'll say there's kind of like, there has been two main ways that I'll write a song. And I think this is kind of goes with anybody is either you write the lyrics first or you write the music first. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> and then I feel like they produce totally different types of songs um maybe not always i think a lot of people maybe they'll have a certain way they write songs and they kind of work either way but for me it's like a totally different process and uh in fact if i write the words first it is that's the one that is insanely difficult for me um, like i'm trying to fit the words to music and driving buddy was that way i had the idea for that song for years before i finally figured out a melody or something that worked um, and I, I think I had written like the majority of the words before having any sort of music. Um, and then that was also one of those songs where I just kept trying to complicate it. And then eventually I was like, this should be a two chord song. Just go to the forge. But it's, uh-huh. it, it's, it's as complicated as it needs to be. And I think, you know, the, the flute and clarinet melodies are quite nice. And, and yeah, the, the, the theme of that song is just so fun. I, that's one of my proudest songs, definitely in the video itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other way of writing music is I think some of my, one of my, my personal favorites of my songs is when I I come up with some sort of groove and then the words are really based on phonetic sounds. And then I try to find, and I think that's where like your sort of subconscious kind of speaks through you where like you'll you'll just kind of start singing into the microphone you're not worried about what you're saying or what it means and you'll find some sort of rhythmic thing uh with the sounds your mouth makes themselves and then you'll realize like oh that kind of sounds like this word and then and then you realize like oh i could talk about this and then the whole song's idea came out of the sound you made in the first place um and those are you know it's it's just a it's a fun question of whether like that was a that was deep in your mind like this idea in the first place or maybe that's one of those like musical ideas you just kind of go and grab out of the air um but but yeah and those ones are sometimes more obscure like the actual meanings themselves are they can be a little bit more poetic and and less uh Mm -hmm. um matter of fact kind of so
0: right yeah uh, from your from your knowledge, do you think that other songwriters sort of have the same back and forth, or do some just do it one way, words um, like music or music than words?
1: You know, I don't know, but like I don't have a good grasp of like the statistics of how many people do it one way or the other. But I'm fairly certain most people do it both ways. A really fun yeah. example is uh, the Beatles. I guess it was Paul McCartney who wrote yesterday. Mm -hmm. I forget who it was, but whoever it was, the original words were scrambled eggs. (laughs) Um, So that was obviously a melody first. And and then they came up with some words that worked better with it, uh, or at least had a a deeper meaning.
0: Yeah. I I don't think it would have quite gone over if it were scrambled. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that's so funny. The I I appreciate that you brought up the subconscious because have you ever had the experience of you write something and then you're sort of like where in the world did that come from?
1: Oh yeah. Every song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had that all the time and it's a little scary. Um I'll write it a passage and go back and you know let it sit and go back to it and go where in the world was that in my head i don't know it works but it's oh my <laughs>
1: i yeah, wasn't was even in your head or did it just did maybe, you kind of grab out of the universe or maybe the whole universe is in our head and we have this <laughs> re- access to this, you know separate plane of reality who knows
0: yeah um it's just, it's something you were, I was never consciously aware of. And then it's like, wow, where did that come from? Those words. Um. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the driving buddies. I was looking at it this morning. Um, it, it, is that your first video, music video?
1: Yeah. Maybe my only okay. real one. Yeah. And, and I, I I, if I had one. money, I would have music videos for every song. Cause I just, I love making the videos in some ways. I'm I, it's weird because I've always identified more with visual art than music. <laughs> okay. I think I, I just have a really visual brain and that's why I'm actually bad about memorizing lyrics and such and things like that. Um, so, but anyways, like that was just such a fun project. And, and so but basically the idea of the song is for people who are wondering is when you're on the freeway for hours and you, you sort of latch onto another car and you come yeah sort of almost friends with this car that you don't know who they are. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell that they're friends with you too, because they're actively sticking with you. And so the song sort of about that. And then of course there's the sad verse where they, they turn their blinker on and they leave and you say <laughs> goodbye. Maybe I'll see you again. Um, so yeah, I had that idea for that song back to like the song re- writing uh, process, like years ago while driving on the freeway, I was like, Oh my God, I have to make this into a song. And I wanted to make it to like a parody country song and mm-hmm. the original version of it. I was like really laying on the the country accent. And then I decided to take it seriously because I like that song a lot. I was like, this needs to be a serious song, but I let my natural country voice come out. Like I, I didn't suppress, you know, my roots. <laughs> so I think that the little bit of a twang that I have in my voice is I was just kind of like letting, letting my Southern, uh, you know, inner voice come out a little bit.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how did you find like the, the filmmakers? How did that all work out? And who Um, are they? It
1: was just one guy. Uh, he, he's actually a drone pilot. That's his main. Uh, Yeah. So he does a lot of like real estate drone shoots and things like that. And I knew I wanted a drone pilot to shoot all the, the, the car shots. Right. So it was just a matter of finding one that would be also willing to kind of do the rest of the video and make some of the mm-hmm. shots happen where we're looking in the car while I'm driving. I mean, in some ways, it's sort of an action <laughs> an action yes. video because I'm literally driving, you know, 80 or 75 miles an hour down the freeway while singing. I mean, nothing's scary, but like. You know, there's literally a disclaimer on my TikTok video that says, "Do not try this." At home. <laughs> like, I didn't. I think that, like the algorithm recognized that it's a dangerous thing, so it's a, it's just. But it was it was really fun to make that video.
0: Where were you? Was it in Tennessee?
1: Yeah, uh I think it's called Flat Top Mountain, um on 111. When you're going from like Soddy Daisy to Dunlap, oh, on top okay. of that ridge there. Yeah, we, I wanted a freeway that was relatively low trafficked and also with beautiful scenery. And that was the best one I could think of.
0: Yes, that's what that's what hit me is I, I was thinking there's not a lot of other people on this road. How did they do this? Because I'm always, you know, uh, we have a film program at the college and I've become much more conscious of the process of filmmaking when I'm watching it. So it's always a, how did they do that? How You know, and so when I see a, a film with, on a road like that, and had to so get those people off the road <laughs> that day. So it's it's not. And I thought it was I twenty four because it looks like that area outside of Chattanooga. Once you get on the other uh, other side to Tonia, and um,
1: yeah, well, that one would definitely have a lot of traffic.
0: It would. So that's one yeah. because I thought it was that. I was sort of like, when did they film this to not have any traffic? So.
1: Yeah, is it, it was going other...
0: in the morning?
1: No, it was just in the middle of the summer. It was like August. Okay. In the middle of the day. Um, But yeah, 111 is usually not too hard. Like, okay. Trafficked. Okay. Uh, but it was fun. The, so. the drone shots were fun too because we had like walkie-talkies. Right. Like, all right coming through and then nine. And then he would do this whole choreographed right? Like he'd lift the drone up really fast and he'd kind of do... It was just some really cool shots and I'm sure if there were other cars they were like noticing this little drone flying around (laughs) but we were sure not to break the law like you're not allowed to you can't fly the drone over the freeway Mm. but we found this underpass where you could fly straight up between the two roads Uh, so he never was like over the street themselves he was right in between the like the grass area Uh, so it was fun like figuring out the logistics of doing that Right, And then the, the Prius shot, that was a lot of fun. We, down in uh, That was downtown on Veterans Bridge uh, mm-hmm. where we had to, you know, sort of uh, pretend that the Prius was going to go between the two cars and then mm-hmm. she sped up to prevent him from cutting us off. And yeah. <laughs> what we did is on that shot, it's just in fast forward. So it looks a little uh, more intense than it actually was.
0: Okay. Okay. So did you get in touch with him or did he get in touch with you?
1: I got in touch with him.
0: Okay. Yeah. So neat. That's a, that's, that's fun. It's a fun video. So everybody needs to go to that. app. Um, so let, let me ask then if um, somebody wants to see you, they can go to the songbirds. Uh, after that, you're taking a break to work on the music for the CSO. You are going to do some performances though, right?
1: Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm taking a break. Um, I think the next step is to get together like a small band for the first time. Um, Cause I, I guess you, you might not have seen my other shows I've done in the past are really large ensembles that I'll, I'll hire okay. a bunch of my friends. So it's like, you know, 12 to 16 people. Uh, you know, yeah. consisting of flutes, clarinet, you know, drums, full strings, string quintet, uh, harp, yeah. piano, um, and I, I, being in the the symphony and in the classical music scene, I've got a lot of really good friends who play those instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always try to pay them, uh, you know, union rates and all that, and so it's kind of prohibitive. Those shows, I've never made any money on them. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, part of my goal is to figure out a small band that can kind of, that can sort of cover most of the important stuff of those and then try to maybe play like a show every month in the fall. Okay. And I think that would, uh, serve two purposes. One to actually allow me to tour for the first time, really okay. and two, it would still be relevant practice to the CSO show. So it's like trying to find a way to work towards both goals at the same time. And, And all of this is sort of uh, in the opposite direction of loops, and I I I realize that, and so I I feel like part of me loves loves the looping art, Um, but I think this year is going to be a little bit more about just going back to the basics, just become the best singing cellist you can.
0: Okay. All right. So, folks need to go to your website. You would have a list of your you're where you're going um uh, and you're hoping to start to sort of move out of this region is that what i'm hearing
1: more yeah like i've never actually i did one little sort of solo tour four years ago i went up to maine but i like i've never actually played in nashville atlanta or knoxville which is silly because okay. they're so close like i need to book shows <laughs> up there but it's always because of once you like compose a song for so many instruments, it's actually really difficult to, to pare it down and and figure out how you're going to cover all those parts. And also you don't want to, because all the work's done to do it big. So it's like, if I had a really large budget, then I would just bring that group of people everywhere. But I've sort of pigeonholed myself in a little, a little bit because that's just never going to work economically. Um, Mm -hmm. So I need to, to find a core band is what I've been calling it of maybe like four mm-hmm. people. But I, I want it to be, you know, I, I've, I've, I used to be in a jam band in uh, college and basically every band ever has a drum set, a guitarist and a bass player. And then maybe also another guitarist or maybe a piano. Uh, and I kind of want to just sort of turn that precedent upside down and come up with a totally different arrangement of instruments and because i love working with flute and clarinet and I, I love working with strings and harp um so i'm trying to figure out exactly what is what is my band and it's hilarious that i'm i actually can't decide on what to do because i think if i had all the resources that's it's like decision fatigue it's like i would rather just have everything than that figure out what would be like the the most uh efficient use of you know, people's talents mm-hmm. and also finding the right people.
0: I think that may be one of the frustrations of creativity. If you're creative in an area is that focus yeah. <laughs> deciding, yeah. uh, you know, there's so much you could do and so much you want to do, but to get it, to get it to where it's public ready or whatever you want to call it, you know, published, et cetera, it has, it has to, you have to focus on one thing and that sometimes is quite frustrating. So, okay. Um, You have been a great guest. (laughs) You are so able to talk about your art and what you do and you're so fun to listen to and you are so fun to watch perform. So I want everybody listening to this to go to his website, benvanwinklemusic.com, right? Yes. Okay. And check it out. Can they find places to purchase your recordings on there? Is that something you do? Uh,
1: Probably. You know, actually, it's it's funny. People should go to my website. That's fun. But I, I usually say... Uh, just find driving buddy on YouTube or you can buy my album and that's on Spotify for free. But if you wanted to buy it, I guess, I think it's for sale on iTunes or or like Amazon music and stuff like that. But, but uh, yeah, that's another thing that I'm quite proud of. So if if you want to put that on, it's, it's good driving music, driving buddy on that. album. Mm -hmm.
0: I would like people to support artists, (laughs) not just, (laughs) I think everything is free. (laughs) So we all need, we all need a little bit of money for our efforts. Well,
1: Well, I think uh, it's free if you share it, (laughs) I wouldn't mind people listening for free as long as they uh, like it and and tell people about it. That's that's a good trade for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Good trade. We've been talking to Ben Van Winkle and uh, just been my pleasure And is there anything else you'd like to say, Ben?
1: That's, I think it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me.
0: See you guys next time. Bye-bye.